Welcome to the Truth Exchange podcast, unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. This lens is based on Romans 125. We've exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worship and serve creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. I'm your host, Joshua Gila, and today I have a special friend with me, P. Andrew Sandlin, who is the founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. He's also faculty of Blackstone Legal Fellowship of the Alliance Defending Freedom, the H. Evan Runner International Academy for Cultural Leadership of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And he is also contributing to a number of truth exchange resources, as well as our Gospel Truth Pagan Lies Symposium. Brother, it's great to have you on the program today. Thank you, Josh. It's a privilege. I have nothing but the highest regard for Truth Exchange and Peter Jones and you and the strong stand that you're taking. So it's just great to be here. It's good to have you on the program again. Now you're in uh, your ministry, you're located in California. Yes, Northern California. California, as you know, is a big state, you used to live there. Uh, Peter, of course, uh, was uh, still uh, is himself. Uh, down in Escondido, we are about eight hours north of there, uh, near this in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, near Yosemite. So that's where the uh, that's where the all, all the ideas, the CCL ideas, <laughs> emanate from. <laughs> Any new works that um, we could send our listeners to take a look at on your website? Yes, one of them. Uh, I mean, I could mention a number, but let me just mention one or two. One that Peter was kind enough to endorse. It's called Creational Worldview, an introduction. Um, and, uh, you can get that. There's also one I done recently called interesting title here. This is just an ebook. We have a lot of just ebooks and some print and ebook. It's great called resources. religionless. What's that? And some great resources. Thank you, sir. It's called religionless Christianity. I know that might sound uh, strange, but, uh, I think the subtitle is why Christianity today is, uh, toothless and harmless or something like that. So I, one thing I put out is Christianity is a religion, properly understood, and what that means. But there are two of them, but there are all sorts of others they can find there. Hmm. Has your ministry undergone any difficulties this year because of the, the COVID um, government restrictions and so on? Well, this answer, Josh, it's interesting you would ask that. might sound counterintuitive. But, uh, oh, in the last few years, I've been praying that God would increase CCL's influence and he would get all the glory. He would get it all. Since March, uh, CCL's influence, every aspect of its ministry has grown more in the, what, eight or eight months than in any previous eight years. I mean, I, it's a huge answer to prayer. Hmm. So uh, thus far, the state of California stayed out of our way, though we take a very strong stand against statism for individual liberty, obviously for religious liberty, for biblical sexual ethics, uh, just as um, you guys do. And the recently, in fact, I need to read the recently released book uh, that Peter just wrote on uh, homosexuality. What's it called? The rain Who, uh, Rainbow. Who's Rainbow? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Ventrella told me, a dear friend of your ministry and mine told me it's just outstanding. So anyway, despite those stands, uh, yes, we're going full steam ahead. So keep praying that we can do it. Yeah. 
Let's talk about that, about the, the government restrictions and whatnot. Um, doesn't passages like Romans 13, 1 Peter, and so on say that we should um, submit to the powers that be? Um, obviously, there's areas like when it comes to sexuality, we, we clearly say, okay, no, you, don't, you, you can't pass here. But when it comes to the government saying, churches, you need to shut down you're not an essential uh, ministries and so on uh, the, the amount of people inside your building facility and so on i mean d- does not the government also tell us about how we're to build houses and so on and that to, to for safety protocol and safety reasons hazard issues and so on isn't this just another issue that the government should be able to say halt yeah, good questions. There's a lot of them there, Josh. I'll mention two or three things. The short answer to the last one is no. And let me tell you why. Um, you're talking about, of course, oneism and twoism, the central theme of truth exchange. Um, we embrace, and I know your ministry does, the Kuyperian and Vantilian idea of sphere sovereignty. Um, Which is which is the idea that God has established institutions and spheres. The main ones are the family, the church, and the state. Each of them has its own individual, unique, and independent responsibility that cannot be subsumed under another. So in its own unique way, in its own unique calling, the church doesn't dictate to the state or overwhelm the state. That has happened historically in the medieval era. More recently, the, that's not been the problem at all. And it's not the problem, as far as I know, anywhere in the world today, maybe in some Eastern Orthodox countries. It's almost always the state dictating to the church and overstepping its bounds. This is true also, by the way, of the family has been subverted by the state. And sometimes, to be honest, occasionally mm-hmm. by the church. So each of these have their own, each of these has its own unique calling. Now you say, well, what does that have any, what does that have to do with COVID? Doesn't the state have a responsibility uh, to protect the health of the citizens in its jurisdiction? The answer to that is yes, but though it might seem strange, so does the church. Hmm. Now people might say, well, no, that's not really the responsibility, responsibility of the elders. They're only to be concerned about the quote spiritual or non-physical aspect of the lives of their members. But the Bible nowhere teaches that. Hmm. The fact is, and to make it more blunt, whenever uh, COVID came on the scene, elders, uh, we're of course Reformed Presbyterian, uh, if some others, Baptists may not have the same language, but church leadership is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Local church leadership had a responsibility to get on their face before God and say, how should we uniquely as a church respond to this? Hmm. Should we keep our church open? Now, um, I tend to be, I certainly strongly oppose these uh, politically, uh, the political lockdown orders. But by that, I'm not saying that elders of churches don't have the right to say, hey, we have a number of elderly members, or a few elderly members, Uh, we should temporarily stop meeting. Uh, We should have special requirements to follow hygienic principles. The Bible's all in favor of that. the Bible is, opposes taking false risks. I mean, that idea of presumption, Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament. When Satan said, jump down from the mountain, the Lord promises to take care of you. No, he says, 
Don't presume upon God. Don't tempt God. So I'm not suggesting we shouldn't take care uh, in um, COVID, uh, COVID situations and situations of plague. However, mm. I am saying it's the responsibility of the church to assert its own independent authority unique to its own sphere. Mm. So that means there can be, and often is, and I believe in this case certainly was, a conflict between, for example, Gavin Newsom's requirement, the church and other governors, by the way, the church yeah. isn't essential and therefore the church can't meet, but other, other things are essential like Walmart and those can meet. No, I'm afraid the church has a right to say, no, we're going to have to resist that. The Bible requires that under any ordinary situation and even some extraordinary ones, we need to meet. We can't forsake the assembly. So in that sense, the church must act independently under the lordship of Christ. I didn't say the church could be anarchic and simply say it doesn't matter what the state says. I'm simply saying the church can assert its independent right as a sphere under God's authority. Mm. There's been a rise in, uh, this is totally a, a, a rabbit trail, but there I've noticed there's been a rise in neo-Calvinistic Dutch reformed anarchists out there in social media and I, i've been surprised I, i've never thought i would live to, to see the day of people embracing anarchy and calling themselves christians and and much less in 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 a in in reformed circles yeah no that's uh, that's tragic i mean the bible if you look in uh, the book of romans you know the famous romans 13 well that's actually in, safely ensconced between certain requirements about good order. Paul is making a point that civil magistrates have an obligation under God. Hmm. I mean, just as, just as church leaders. In fact, it's actually the same word, the same Greek word. Just there is a minister in the church, so there is a minister in the state. Right. Now, they minister in different ways, in different spheres, but they're equally God's ministers. So the Bible nowhere permits anarchy. Yeah. On the other hand, it doesn't permit any absolutization of any aspect of any one of these spheres to be the absolute authority. All of them derive authority from God and are submission, um, must be a submission to his authority. Mm -hmm. During this whole, so if we could go back in time, I, I look back in March when this first thing hit. And um, I remember talking with my wife and wrestling over all the various sources of information that were coming in. I mean, you had President Trump on Twitter, you had uh, ABC, NBC, CNN, Fox, them flooding in all these resources. And then, then you have folks who are coming up with these YouTube channels. And I remember looking at Lael and my wife and saying, I don't, I don't know what to do. Right. And, and I, other than let's not respond in fear. Amen. Let's respond in faith. Let's pray. And I mean, I, I remember, and, and, and then the issues came in with the church, our church saying, we're going to cease from uh, corporate worship. We're going to do stream. And then us wrestling as a married couple with our children and saying, I would not want to be an elder during these times. And yes. I told that to my pastor. I said, I, we pray for you every week. Amen. Uh, but this is, these are hard decisions and we've had, had to wrestle. And I think a lot about, and now that, now that church, our church now has, has, has opened up the doors and, you know, they're, they've got guidelines and they've got masks and we continue to wrestle with some of these things. And, 
you have a number of really helpful resources that I'm going to put in the show notes, but I'd love for you to share your thoughts and biblical wisdom and Christian worldview on how should Christians respond to these issues. And I, and I think a lot about, I, I've thought often about here, my, my sons and my daughter are watching their mom and dad. And I hope that this year, even though it's been marked with all this distancing and uh, not being able to go out and be with friends, let this have been a year that have been marked where mom and dad were constantly on their knees praying amen, and seeking the Lord for wisdom. So Andrew, could you share, how should a, a Christian uh, face tomorrow with, now there's, there's new discussion about a new strain of COVID and so on. Yes. Beautifully said. I, my heart sort of feels weighty with uh, some of the things you said there, Josh. I agree. Well, first of all, I agree with you there. When people talk about all oh, the scientific wisdom or the scientific evidence points this way, well, the difficulty with that is that there actually are competing claims, not by crackpots, but by genuinely knowledgeable people. As Christians, Josh, we always need to understand that we do not have exhaustive knowledge. Hmm. Uh, the, the problem with abandoning the Christian faith and the triune God is that we think that in order to know anything, we have to know everything. Uh, but we don't. You don't need to know everything when you know somebody that knows everything. And that's, of course, God and his exhaustive knowledge. Now, we have infallible knowledge, but that is only found in God's Word and in the Bible. Now, I said that to say that in all of this COVID information, we are bombarded, particularly with social media today, 24-7 information, with competing. And now, of course, we're in a time as we record this, when the uh, vaccines have just been released. People say, what about the vaccine? I mean, some people say, is it dangerous? Is it not dangerous? What are the side effects? Well, the fact is we don't know infallibly. And the wonderful thing about being a believer, Josh, is we don't have to know infallibly. Hmm. We live in faith and trust in the sovereign God. We don't live in fear. And this is something I can assert with absolute clarity on the basis of the word of God. For believers who are doing their best to submit to the word of God, it is always wrong to operate in fear. Mm -hmm. Always. Mm. I don't mean, of course, the fear of God, reverence for God. Somebody said, if you have the fear of God, you need not fear anyone or anything else. And that's the truth. So those of you listening to Josh and me right now, listening to this podcast, watching the video, if you are living in fear, if I am living in fear, we're living in sin because we're not trusting our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. So we, am I saying that we, we don't seek out knowledge? Am I saying that we don't investigate? No, God gives science. Science, the right kind of science is based on uh, divine knowledge, revelation that God gives man. No, I'm not saying that, but it'll never be. Human uh, knowledge will never be infallible. Right. So we have to get on our face before God, make the best decisions that we can with the evidence we have, and trust God that he will protect his people. I mean, Amen. Josh, think about, think about ancient Israel walking. So they leave Egypt, amazing revelation of God's power. They're going out to a place they don't know. Their enemies everywhere, at least along the way. And what does God say? Just follow me. Yes, you're, you're walking into the unknown. Just trust me. Hmm. Just 
follow me. And the only time they got into trouble is when they didn't trust, when they became fearful because, oh, we're not going to have enough food, or, oh, an enemy's going to attack us, or, oh, we need to go back to Egypt because what about this Moses guy? Mm. That's when they got into trouble. Mm. They never got into trouble simply by trusting God. So in the same way, what we do in this situation is simply get on our face before God and say, God, I'm trusting you to take care of us. Yes. That is living in faith, and that is the only Christian way to live. I love the inbounds, and I love that you post a lot of inbounds quotes. And one recently that you had posted was, God's acquaintance is not made by pop calls. God does not bestow his gifts on the casual or hasty comers and goers. The men who have most fully illustrated Christ in their character and have most powerfully affected the world for him have been men who spent so much time with God as to make it a notable feature of their lives. Prayer is huge, especially in today's um, text or context with, with you see the fear that arises and issues of the day with, with political powers covid uh the economic issues that rise and fall is that the government going to shift into socialism prayer is something that that is is a massive important tool for a believer yet some often it gets shelved yeah and i will tell you it's interesting you mentioned bounds who wrote late in the 19th, early 20th centuries, even then he was talking about the distractions of modern life, which of course to him wouldn't seem, to us wouldn't seem modern at all. But think about it. I'm convinced that prayer is so powerful, which activates God's work in the earth in so many ways. Satan has a vested interest in keeping us distracted from prayer in any way he can. Hmm. Now for us today, it's probably handheld digital devices that we tend to call cell phones. Get up in the morning, so many people, first thing they do is, I got to get to my phone. Mm -hmm. Even Christians, their first response is, I need to spend time in prayer mm. before you look at the phone. Now, I know I'm tempted because I'll say, but, but there could be an emergency and somebody must need me. And then I'm thinking, well, Andrew, what you're really saying is that it's important to find out what's going on in the world before you talk to God. <laughs> I don't care what the emergency is, unless somebody's right in front of you dying, and that's unusual, you need to talk to God. I don't mean you have to spend two hours in prayer, but the first thing in the morning before, before your feet hit the floor, in my view, start praying. Uh, the, the balance quote is essentially saying, if I can sort of summarize it, you can't have godliness on the cheap. Hmm. You can't have godliness on the cheap. People say, well, I want to live a godly life, but I really only have about three minutes a day to spend in prayer. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have it then. Hmm. And to the people who say I'm too busy for that are the same ones that spend, you know, two hours a day on Facebook or 30 minutes on Facebook. Hmm. Well, if it's necessary for you, nothing wrong inherently with Facebook as a platform, set aside political problems, I'm not talking about that. Conveying information is not wrong. That's not the issue. The issue is if you've got time to spend doing that, then why don't we spend time with God? So if you have to set it aside for a week, it's amazing how much time you'll have. Uh, the fact is, Josh, we always have enough time for what we want to have time for. Does if this, we think prayer is important, we will spend time in prayer. That's right. Does this create a, a dualism between man and God, giving man more authority? And then second, does this view of prayer 
make it a or to to lead to to godliness does this make it a works righteousness thing oh great question so this i think is an error an understandable error of some of my calvinist friends and i am a calvinist well if god is sovereign really <laughs> we don't have much to do with it actually the bible doesn't teach that the bible mm. teaches that god is entirely sovereign but he's constantly calling his people to cooperate with him to accomplish his will is mm. god impotent no but he has called man to be a partner. If you say, well, what do you mean man to be a partner? Well, think only about the preaching of the gospel. Right. God is not going to come down and preach the gospel to people. And he could send angels to preach the gospel, but he didn't do that. Well, the same is true with respect to prayer. Prayer basically is God's means of calling us to call out to him who is the heavenly father so he can demonstrate to us his great love, but also not just his great love, gosh, his great power in the earth. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. A lot of people don't. When we get on our face before God and we let others know, I am praying for this matter. I don't mean for a new Lamborghini or a new beachfront property. I mean a legitimate, godly request. When we let people know, and when God answers that, that does two things. One, God gets the glory. And number mm -hmm. two, that inspires faith and the people who know it. So to people who say, well, it's self-centered to pray and expect God to answer, all to the contrary. It's very God-centered to do that because God will get the glory and those around us will increase, their faith will increase to trust in God. So this is not a man versus God. This is God working with man as he does in all areas of life to accomplish his will in the earth. And then the works righteousness? Oh, yes. Well, uh, <laughs> The Bible is quite clear that we trust God in all that we say and do. Um, our very life is given to trusting in God. We have no righteousness of our own. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we don't do what called, God has called us to do. Mm -hmm. um, this is true in every... To, to say that trusting in God in prayer and expecting Him to answer is to um, act in works righteousness is equally to say that preaching the gospel to people and expecting them to trust in Christ as a result of our preaching would be works righteousness, because we also participate in that. The key is that we work and do everything God's called us to do, but apart from God, we would have nothing. He gets mm -hmm. all the glory. So mm -hmm. we can never pit man against God as long as we are giving God all the glory. Yeah. What about, and I, I hear this often, is, is when you pray for someone who's, let's say, has cancer, and you say, Lord, if it be your will, heal this person. I often think in the back of my mind, well, we know that death is not the will of God. And yet at the same time, we also know that, that God doesn't always heal on this side of, right. of, right. of redemption and, 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 um, and time and space, but that they will be healed and they will receive a new body. So how, how, how does a Christian wrestle well with that? Yeah, great question. Now, so I'll start by answering it this way. Josh, have you ever noticed how many godly people in the Bible, when they prayed, did not pray and say, God, if it be thy will? Hmm. Think of Elijah and Elisha and the various healings and so on. They would say, God, do this, please. We're trusting you. God, I'm calling out you to do this. And they didn't, if it be thy will. Mm -hmm. Well, the default is, and this is something, uh, this is from the book of James, by the way, I won't go into detail, but right. the default is that godly people pray godly prayers and that God answers those prayers. 
Now notice I didn't say that God answers every single prayer of every person in every case. He doesn't. We know that from the Bible. In fact, there are three main cases we could get into later in the Bible where he clearly doesn't. But the default in the Bible, one noted uh, theologian Herb Lockyer said, what was it? Seventy uh, percent of the prayers in the Bible by godly people were specific. He counted them up, were answered. And that's only the ones God told us about. Maybe God answered many more. It's just God didn't tell us in his word. Mm-hmm. Well, think about that for a minute. Seventy mm-hmm. percent of the ones we know about. So when, if godly people pray prayers, we can expect the default I didn't say infallibly, but the default is to expect God to answer. And so to constantly be praying, well, I'm going to drive to the store. Lord, please, uh, please keep me safe if it be thy will. What, it wouldn't be God's will for you to be safe? It wouldn't be God's will? What happens, particularly with Calvinist Josh, is pitting God's prescriptive will in his word with his decretal will. Well, the fact is the Bible never does that. Hmm. Let's pray in terms of God's revelatory will of his, of his word. God wants righteousness to prevail. God desires sinners to come to him. God desires to provide for his people. We don't have to try to look into his secret decretal will. Well, it's called secret for a reason. We don't know it. But simply pray according to the revealed will of his word. God blesses people that pray according to his word. That's what we need to start doing and quit saying, now, it could be maybe that God doesn't want this to happen. Well, let's just find in his word what he says he wants to happen, and let's pray according to that. Proverbs 26, 13, the, the, the fool says there's a lion in the street, I'm going to be eaten. Whereas as a wise man goes and, and, and assesses and, and goes, has faith and, and tackles things, Andrew, you, your ministry focuses on raising people up to produce Christian culture. What will that look like in 2021? Uh, great question. So uh, the fact that uh, by all accounts, uh, Biden and Harris, and will, Harris will end up in the presidency and vice presidency is not a good thing. On the other hand, the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turns it whithersoever he will. One of the fundamental teachings of the Bible, if you've read the Bible, is how God is sovereign, particularly with nations Mm. and with political leaders. And I think God does that, Josh, because we think of political leaders as great and grand, less so today than even then with Nebuchadnezzar, great kings who had the power of life and death in their hands. And God says one time, it's remarkable in the Old Testament, these nations are a drop in the bucket. Mm. They'll do whatever I Oh, in the book of Habakkuk, it's amazing what he says. He says, I'm going to raise one up and tear it down, raise one nation up to judge my people, and then throw it down to the ground, showing his great sovereignty. So specifically, praying, A, that these two unbelievers are converted. I'm speaking now of the new president and vice president. B, that if they are not going to be converted and unconverted, God would protect his people and keep them, that is these two leaders, from doing evil, unleashing evil. Pray also, third of all, it's not wrong to pray prayers of imprecation or cursing or judgment on them, As for instance, particularly with Biden and his pro-abortion and his pro-homosexual agenda. Pray that God frustrates that and God sends judgment down on him. Now, I won't we don't have time to go into detail on that, but read only in the book of Psalms and the book of Revelation, godly people praying judgment down on ungodly people, and mm. particularly rulers that have in their power, 
derived from God, but nonetheless power to be able to execute evil and perform antinomian lawless deeds and enforce those deeds by the power of the sword. We need to pray that God judges them. But underlying all of that, you touched on this in your question, Josh, and this is something that Christians must understand. Christians must at all times be bold for the faith. Mm. It doesn't matter. We, there is no room in Scripture for Christians to live in pessimism. Christianity is an inherently optimistic faith. I don't mean by that. The Bible doesn't promise we'll always be on easy street. It doesn't promise there won't be persecution. We know there has been historically, and there is now in the world. Mm. Nonetheless, to be a Christian is to live in optimism is to know that we're on the winning side, get up every day knowing God is using us little by little to extend his kingdom. And even if we have to give our life, as some of our forefathers did, give our life being burned at the stake, mm -hmm. nonetheless, God is using that a seed to advance his kingdom. It's remarkable how many Christians live in fear and not in faith, recognizing God's sovereignty. It's also remarkable how the history can turn on a dime. In just a moment, God can mm -hmm. change I think back in, um, I grew up during the Cold War. Had somebody asked me in 1985, well, how long will the Soviet Union be here? I would have said, maybe 100 years. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one of the great uh, regimes in the history of the world. And then 1989 to 1991, it's, it's gone. It's gone. How does that happen? Hmm. It happens because God is sovereign. So to think, well, our nation is going downhill, and in many ways it is, demonstrably. Yeah. Uh, to say, oh, well, that means we should just throw our hands up. It means Jesus is coming soon, and everything is just going to end in destruction. That's just a load of unbelief. Let's call that out for what it is, Josh. It's unbelief. It's a wicked heart of unbelief. God is a sovereign God, and he will extend his kingdom and advance his kingdom if his people will get on their knees and pray and act and be bold in their faith wherever they are. I'm sorry I turned that into a little sermon. No, it's but good. That's the I, I love this time of year uh, as Christmas. But, I mean, by the time this episode gets out, Christmas will have come and gone. It'll be coming out on Monday. But um, I always think this is the, the great Isaiah prophecies and, and about the knowledge of the Lord of, of God yes. being spread from, you know, across the face of the waters and, and um, uh, that all the nations will become the yes. kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Yes. And Psalm 72 is my favorite Psalm. I love reading that during our family devotions yes. during the time of year specifically. I think of um, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth shine. Yes. Some wonderful, yes. wonderful pieces at this time to reflect upon. Um, you, you, you had mentioned the, the nations being dropped as, as, you know, a bucket as a drop, yeah. right? Yeah. There, there's some there's some talk recently about Christian nationalism. Should we should we care about the nation? Should not all the nations just become one? Uh, there's the issue of globalism, great reset. Isn't all nations people are standing to in favor of a nation? Isn't that against an eschatological view that Christ is going to pull all the nations together? No, that's a good question, Josh. No, I mean, the Bible speaks, even in the book of Revelation, that great final eschatological day that people of all nations and tongues and tribes 
it's interesting that even at that time, there still is the distinction. Of course, within Christ, there is no distinction. But what he means by that is that even right before the great coming of the Lord, there will still be nations. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that per se. But if you read what I was just reading in Matthew, of course, 24, 25, God will judge the nations as nations. Now, we know that he judges individuals, and the Bible, would, I would never say he does not do that. He judges us as individuals, whether we're redeemed, justified by Christ or outside Christ, but nations also are judged. Mm-hmm. So the idea that it doesn't matter uh, what a nation is like, it doesn't matter if a nation bows the knee to King Jesus, if a nation operates according to Christian principle, that's false. The United States, for example, and I've written on this quite a bit, though it wasn't founded as an explicitly Christian nation, nonetheless, it was founded as an implicitly Christian nation. The founders made that very clear. Uh, The reason it wasn't founded explicitly as a Christian nation is because all of the states, the colonies that became states, all of them had, or virtually all of them, had an establishment, a Christian establishment of some kind. Mm -hmm. They just didn't want the feds interfering like the uh, Anglican church had done. But the point is, for its first 150 years or so, certainly 100 years, America was implicitly, I was just reading to Tocqueville on this, Alexis to Tocqueville, Democracy in America. He makes a fascinating point. He says, the thing about Christianity in America is that nobody really needs to assert that it's a Christian nation, and everybody just assumes it. Hmm. Nobody thought that, well, this nation operates on principles that are not Christian. No, yeah, even the unbelievers would have recognized, yeah, the Bible is the basic foundation for what we're doing here. Hmm. And yet how we have apostatized from that notion. So the idea that nations should, in their nationhood, be Christian in an um, implicit way, certainly, is, uh, is certainly a biblical idea. So the United States, which was, was implicitly Christian, should return to its roots of Christianity, which means recognize individuals and churches and families recognizing Christ and even politics, the law of God being operating according to God's moral law mm-hmm. revealed in his word. Mm-hmm. I, I always think of the, uh, and I, I've, I've adopted it, it's something that, that I heard you say first, uh, probably about five years ago when, when the buzz was the end of Christendom. And you said, and everyone was saying, you know, we, we live in a post-Christian world, we live in a post-Christian world. And you were saying, no, we live in a pre-christian world yes and i love that i love that because that 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 has faith that is faith that jesus is going to win absolutely you you pointed out about here in this advent and christmas season all of those texts i don't know how any christian can read those texts in isaiah and in malachi and in daniel and of course the numerous texts in the new testament the book of revelation and so on and not recognize that we're on the winning team, that the kingdom of God will advance. It is true that there won't be sinless perfection until Mm -hmm. Christ returns, Mm -hmm. but the idea that there cannot be great reformation, there cannot be great revival, there cannot be Christian culture before the coming of Christ, that idea is false. It's Mm -hmm. happened historically, and it can, and in my view, it will happen again if God's people will get on their face before God and live in great boldness and faith. Amen. 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 <laughs> Behold, a light has come. Yes, that's right. With healing and the sun will rise with healing in his wings. Oh, just uh, so many biblical texts. I love the text in the Old Testament where kind of literally translated, it's talking about Christ 
and it says of him, and he will come whose right it is. Mm. That is, in, in many people's minds and in the secular world, Christ has been expelled from the throne. Of course, he's not expelled from the heavenly throne. Nonetheless, he whose right it is will come, and he did come uh, 2,000 years ago. And the notion that he has to come again to begin ruling is utterly false. Acts chapter 2 makes very, and other texts make very clear that when Christ descended to the heavenlies, he sat on David's throne and began to fulfill those great messianic prophecies of rulership, and he is ruling and reigning now. It's true that there are still rebels in his kingdom, mm. and there are a lot of rebels, but by the preaching of the gospel, and by first by the positively, the preaching of the gospel, and then negatively by his judgment, he will extend his kingdom and get rid of all the rebels, and his kingdom will go from shore to shore, the Bible says. Thank you so much for uh, being on the program today. I would like to leave with one last question, if I may. Yes, sir. What advice would you give? And this is completely, this is off the cuff. This is total random, but I think it's an important question for young married people who are now just now having kids, or maybe they have already had a number of kids and they're now raising them. What is three things that you would impart to them? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question, my friend. I think that's a I tough one. It is a tough one, but I think I, I think number one, this is something that my parents, uh, I can, they never said this, but this is so powerful. Uh, my parents were godly parents. My mother passed away about three years ago. My dad's 87, still alive. Godly Baptist people. You know what I found out? Children, Christian children or children don't mind if parents are imperfect. As long as they live according to what they say they believe. My parents made many mistakes. But when there was a great need, you know what they did? They got on their face before God and God supplied. My parents, my dad and mom, like everybody else, were sinners, but they would recognize that. They would come back and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. They lived according to what they said they believed. They weren't hypocrites. Almost anything is forgivable for children except hypocrisy. So if you're going to be a Christian parent, live according. If you say you believe the Bible, live according to the Bible. And if you fail, say, I failed. I'm so sorry. I confess my sin. We're going to get up and do it again but don't live a hypocritical life. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Live according to the truth of the word of God. Mm. The second thing I would say is, and this is prominent in 21st century culture, be a parent first and a friend second. We all want our children to love us, and they should, and they're required to, but our first responsibility is to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to love them enough to set godly boundaries, and to let them know this is the way you should live, get them on the right path for the Lord. And the third thing is, I've touched on this, but I guess this, and some, I can't say which is most important, but sometimes this seems most important. Let your children see that their parents prayed and got answers to prayer. Hmm. Now, I think about this, Josh, and I hope that all of you watching will think about it. We open up the word to our children and teach them, and that's required and necessary and powerful. But when children can actually see in very tactile, concrete ways, God's moving in response to prayer, 
that presents a great power. Don't misunderstand. We sit down, we teach them the Trinity. That's important. But that to them, it might seem ethereal at some point, particularly at a young age. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is fully man and fully God? And so we tell them that, and it's necessary. But to make God real in their lives, get on your face before God and pray and expect God to pray, then they'll say, oh, this God stuff really is real. Mm. Oh, this Jesus stuff really is real. So I would please get on your face before God and don't just pray, but expect God to answer prayer. And when he does, give him the glory. Thank you, brother. Thank you for oh. being on the program again. God bless you, Josh. I love you guys. Give uh, Peter and Rebecca and everybody else my love. I appreciate you so much. This concludes our episode of the Truth Exchange Podcast, the unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. Be sure to drop us a line. Let us know how you think we're doing or let us know about anything that you would like to see us address in upcoming episodes. Remember, this podcast is only made possible from friends like you.